brother. Destiny awaits. Hello there and welcome to Magic by Design. We're casting a spell to conjure up a review of Pixar's 22nd animated feature, Onward, first released in March 2020, this week. But before we embark on our mythical quest, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Ken and I am joined, as always, by my co-host slash brother. He's Garrett. Garrett, how are you? Are we going on a quest? We are. A journey? A podcast quest. Uh, are we going the road less traveled? Do we learn important lessons about ourselves and our brotherhood? Yes, of course. With our father, just a sentient pair of pants. Well, he's still alive, so that might be a stumbling block. He also has a full body. Yeah, so we have to chop him in half. He is more than just legs. Kerr, you might remember this was the last movie we saw in the cinema before the pandemic. Yeah, literally days before the country shut down. Yeah, just before the first total lockdown in Ireland. Even then, we both had a strong feeling that it wasn't safe to be there. So I, for one, was a bit distracted from the movie. Yeah, because this came out March 6th. And I think we went full lockdown, like the 15th or 16th, wasn't it? It was shortly before Patrick's Day? Yes, just before St. Patrick's Day. So, and I think we saw it the weekend before we went full lockdown. And we were like, Huh. And there wasn't, I don't remember there being very, very many people there. I think there was just like two other people there. Yeah, for me, it was more the hygiene and, you know, <laughs> touching things. It did very much feel like it's like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be going places anymore. And shortly, we couldn't go places anymore. This is also, is this the biggest flop in Pixar history? Technically, uh, I'll get into it in a moment. It's not its own fault, but it is the biggest flop in Pixar history. I remember being mostly underwhelmed by this film. It felt more like a DreamWorks concept than a Pixar movie, with the celebrity cast and premise. I was interested to see it again without the feeling of dread, see if I viewed it more favourably. I think, conceptually, in terms of like a world idea, it's very Pixar. It's like, what if we had this mystical fantasy world where magic is real, but then science happens and magic becomes redundant? It's a very, like, Pixar idea. But then the story they tell within that world, it's like two brothers going on a journey of discovery with Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. It's like, ah, yeah, that's a DreamWorks plot right here in this Pixar concept. If not a DreamWorks plot, it's at least a classic Disney Road movie Mm. trope. And I I think, not to get into the movie, I think that is the problem with the movie. And I, like, I think this movie has a very good ending. Oh, yeah. I think the emotional punch is there at the end. I think the way they get there is pretty shaky. Yeah, we'll dive into the depths of that. This one is directed by Dan Scanlon, who you might remember from directing Monsters University. So he only directs the B-tier Pixar movies, is what you're saying here. The film was inspired by the death of Scanlon's own father when he and his brother were very young children and their relationship together. He wrote the story after hearing an audio clip of his father. Ah, so that's incorporated into the movie. Yeah, that is the soul of the movie. (laughs) Pun intended. No, no, this is Onward, Ken. Onward. Yes, that's next week. Onward premiered in theatres in March 2020, but its run was cut dramatically short by the a little thing called the COVID-19 pandemic. You might have heard of it. We're into the COVID-era movies now, Ken. We sure are, Ken. Oh, no. Meaning that it only managed to gross $141 million off a budget of... 175 to 200 million. It's considered a box office flop, but this is harsh given the circumstances. Yeah, it's box office flop, asterisk. Yeah. The Good Dinosaur had a full theatrical run. Now, Luca and Soul have grossed less. Luca grossed way less than Onward and Soul, but there are mitigating factors there. Again, global pandemic debuted on Disney+. And the Pixar films, unlike a lot of the other movies, were not premier access on Disney+, were they? They were both just on Disney+. Yeah, straight releases to Disney+. And we'll talk about that next week, but that was a real morale killer for the Pixar animators. Which is weird to think, because, like, I get it, it's not a prestige product anymore. But, like, more people are going to see it. Yeah, and... 
the thing is, they still released it in theaters when they could. Yeah, it, it's a weird... And actually, it's weird because I don't think Luca was in theaters over here. I don't think so, but it has a growth, so well, some places must, must which, have had it. Which kind of annoyed me because it's like... Because cinemas were open. It's like, I will go see a Pixar movie in the cinema, but they weren't showing it. I was like, God damn it, I'll watch it on Disney Plus then. But yeah, it's, it is weird that the, like that's the, the morale killer. It's like, oh, we're not even getting the fancy individual purchase Disney Plus thing. But like on the flip side of that, that means way more people are going to watch your movie. Especially so. We'll talk about it next week, but they released it on Christmas Day. So I imagine it was mm. the Christmas movie for a lot of people. Yeah. And like what Disney Plus has 110 million subscribers now, I think. Yeah, so... It's in that range. So instant audience. That's a lot of people. A lot more people than probably would have ever seen it had it had a theatrical release. So even if it's less prestigious, more people are seeing your art. And isn't that what you want at the end of the day? But yeah. Yeah, but I think they all want that box office gross, and they still think in those terms, even though, as you just noted, it's quite antiquated. Yeah, it's, uh, as again, you know, any piece of art I have ever made, art is very generous. But like, you know, this podcast, other podcasts, anything I've ever done, it's like, I just want people to see it. <laughs> Yeah. Never mind, give me money for and especially when like in the case of like the people who made this movie, I don't think they get bonuses based on box office, unlike the actors. Like mm-hmm. I don't think the director or the the animators or the storyboard artists, I don't think they get bonuses based on box office. They don't. But I think it's it's just that it's harder to see the the measure of success on streaming, I guess. Yeah, and like that is this weird nebulous thing where it's like, you know, we were talking about what's the name of that Netflix movie of the rock. Red Notice. Red Notice, yes. We were talking about how Netflix said it's the biggest Netflix launch ever, which is the same thing they said about Squid Game. And you're like, well, prove it. Apparently, they are going to release their numbers soon, though. Yeah, but are they going to be real numbers or fake Netflix numbers? I'm going to think fake Netflix numbers. True. Any service releasing their own numbers, you know, it's just like they've somehow cobbled together something where it's like if somebody watched a preview of it on YouTube, it counts, you know? It's like, how are you going to know? Because they're the ones that control the data. But at the same time, the only way I think you could have a realistic number is if Netflix went public and they released the numbers for shareholders. And they would have to report actual accurate financial data for fear of actually being punished for it if they lied and misled shareholders. And... Actually, listen, that probably might happen in our lifetime. Netflix going public, people like money. But mm. yeah, it is weird that they are like, this is a gigantic streaming success. And it's like, how? According to us and no other source. Yes, this is our biggest launch ever. By what metric? What did it beat? By how much? And they're like, here is a nebulous number. It had this many starts. Or it had like 70 million people watch the whole thing through. And you're like, did they now? But then they have... The whole auto star thing, so that's a bit of a. I hate how much Netflix auto plays everything. Like, I like sitting on the credits of movies. You know, I, I enjoy that. You've done this rant on the podcast before. Yeah, but uh, and I like yeah, when I'm updating my letterbox, I like to do that over the credits as well. It's like you get the like five, six minutes of the credits. And you're like, uh, you know, I can bang out my letterbox review of this movie. And Netflix is just like, oh, I'm going to interrupt you. Stupid Netflix. I don't think you can turn it off on Netflix either. I haven't seen an option. It's like, no, we're just going to play you this trailer whether you want it or not. And you have to click a button. And usually like I'm lying on my bed, which is like a, f- a few feet away from the desk. So I have to jump up and hit the thing before the 10 seconds counts down it's such a difficulty for a dumb service and i know they do it because you know they want the click through they want you just keep watching netflix and never stop watching netflix it's really annoying Okay, i don't have many notes on the animation of this film i think it's appropriate mm-hmm. i like the mythical characters i think they're well realized mm-hmm. of course the environment looks very realistic as it has ever since the good dinosaur but there's even there's like stuff like mushrooms and fantastical and like the, all the houses are like mushroom based and stuff like that because it's a fantasy world i like that even though the sky rises have 
popped up in place of mythical villages and quests and stuff. All of them have like mythical features like turrets and mm. pointy towers and stuff like that. So yeah, they did at least think of this war. It's not like I, I, I would have actually accepted them just making it a normal standard human world because that's kind of the point. So like I, I would have been okay with that, but I, I'm happy they went like the extra mile of fantasticalizing everything. Animators wanted the magic of the film to have a unique look while matching the film's suburban setting. Did it? I wouldn't have said so. I think it looks like magic in every other movie ever. Apparently, they studied films like Fantasia, Aladdin, and Hercules. Oh, their own films, <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> and started out by working out the sequences on paper with 2D hand drawings before moving on to the 3D modelling. Yeah, I, I don't see the work that went into that. It's just pew-pews. Yeah, it's like wand go pew, and magic sparkles come out of wand. It's every magic thing you've ever seen. It's Harry Potter, it's Lord of the Rings, it's anytime you've seen any kind of wizard or magician or, or Merlin. Weird that they didn't do Sword in the Stone there, by the way. True. It's like the most famous wizard in Disney history is not Yen Sid. You know, it's Merlin. Uh, one thing I noted, though, that they mastered in this film, which is a bit of a left field one, but I thought it was impressive. Ian's list. How do you animate handwriting? Yeah, and it's it's weird. It feels like he writes as a lefty, but he's right handed. But that upset me. It upset me, too. But they're showing him writing. Normally, they just cut back to the list and they did that a couple of times. But there is a couple of times when they show him actually writing. He has a very straight hand, by the way. Yeah, I would not be able to because he's drawn lines through things. Yeah. My lines would be wonky as hell. I'd be like, it would, it would definitely be a, a diagonal line in my case. Yeah, it's a bit too perfect at times, but I, I thought it was impressive the way they animated that. I would have liked a little bit of that, like, that, that little extra little mile where it's like, oh, he f- <laughs> something up, you know? He's like, oh no. And as, as usual, Ken is like, calm down, I have to fix that. That's a, I have to bleep you. But you know, he has to scribble something out. Even there's a typo, he has to change it. Is it a typo when you're writing? Is that the right word? Is it just an error? An error, I guess, or a mistake, yeah. yeah is, there, is there a word for when you screw up writing something? No, I don't think so. Well, I'm going to stick with typo then. But when he screws on there, he scribbles it out and he fixes it. You know, you know nice. A righto? A righto. There we go. We've invented it right now. And as I said, his, his straight lines, which if it, were, if it were me, it would be a diagonal line through because I can't do straight lines. I don't have a steady hand. Maybe Ian just... No, we know Ian doesn't have a steady hand. It's an important character trait. He's a nervous type. So he shouldn't have a steady hand. He shouldn't have those straight lines. It's, it's a bad character work that he has this very straight line thing. The thing I found that struck me most about the animation was Dad's legs. There's mm. some very fun animation challenges there. And as you said, what must it be like to be just feet? And they get around that in creative and fun ways. Yeah, imagine being dead for... Wow, how old is he? And Ian is like six. No, we know he's sixteen. He starts on his sixteenth birthday, so he's about sixteen years dead. Yeah. So he's about sixteen years dead, and it's just to be reawoken after sixteen years as a pair of legs, just being like, "Well, this is my existence now." And the way he communicates non-verbally and stuff like that, I think they did it that really well. Yeah, and it's he's like the legs are the cute animal sidekick of this movie. Yes, not the feral unicorns. <laughs> the feral unicorns, or they do have a pet dragon, but yes. the the legs are the the cute animal sidekick, which is quite an interesting twist. That the, like a pair of legs is the cute animal sidekick of this Pixar movie. Yeah, that's the interesting thing because the whole quest is to meet the dad, but he's there the entire time. But it's like he's a different character. Mm. Do you have any other notes on the animation here, Gar? No, it falls in that tier of looks perfectly fine, but won't wow you at any stage. Yeah, I think so too. There is one thing I really liked, but I'll save that for the story. Mm-hmm. The first note I have here on the story, Gar, Tom Holland as Ian and Chris Pratt as Barley. Where do you land on that? I thought his name was Farley. It's Barley. Even when I heard, saw it, because it's written at one stage in the film and you see Bar- it's, uh, the dad's letter to them, you actually see it written as Barley. And that's when I realised it was Barley. But even later in the movie, when he's saying, like, Barley, I was like, is he saying Farley? Am I being gaslit by this movie? <laughs> 
<laughs> but yes, um, listen, they're doing their Marvel voices. Actually, no, Chris Pratt is more doing his Andy Dwyer. Yeah, true. Than he's doing his Star-Lord. But Tom Holland is doing his Spider-Man voice. Not s- even his Spider-Man voice, the same voice he does when he's an American in any food It's just movie. his American accent. I hate it. And because it's not his accent, I hold it. I don't hold Chris Pratt doing Chris Pratt's voice against him, but I hold Tom Holland doing his fake American accent against him because it's always his dumb fake American accent and he's in so many things and he's doing his same nervous prepubescent teenager voice for everything whatever it's like Nathan Drake or Spider-Man he's doing that same voice in every movie and I'm sick of stupid Tom Holland he's one of those actors I, I have a deep seething burning hatred of now through no fault of his own just through his sheer omnipresence I'm like I'm sick of you Tom Holland you're pretty good in most of the things you're in you're not like a good actor but you're a movie star and that's all, that's all that matters you can do you can pull off these roles and he's perfectly fine in this movie but stupid Tom Holland is everywhere and I'm sick of him and it's not like Pixar don't use celebrities Tom Hanks is a bigger celebrity as you'll get but Mm. I just didn't find myself buying them in the role it took me out of the movie a bit you just hear Chris Pratt and Tom Holland whereas you know in The Incredibles like you know the actors from things but you just know them as the characters because you don't associate them with anything else because it feels like even going back to Woody and Buzz which as you mentioned Tom Hanks and what's his name two huge actors Tim Allen Tim Allen two big name actors particularly in the 90s so when they cast those two to do that but like they felt right for those roles and I, I think Pixar generally cast people who feel right for the roles. And I, this one, it feels like anybody could have played these two. You know, it, it does not feel like, oh, it had to be Chris Pratt. In the same way, like, by the time you get to Toy Story 4, you're like, oh, it had to be Tom Hanks. It does feel like an executive edict, doesn't it? Mm, it's just get like, these guys in there for star power. Yeah, and it might even be like, we don't have entire faith in this movie, so we'll get the big names to slap on the poster. Because I do remember they really pushed the fact that these guys were in this movie, you know. Mm. Use them heavily in the promotion where they wouldn't normally do that. I know people do the junket, but they really push that factor. Yeah, and like we did talk last week about how like Woody without Tom Hanks might not work because Woody is such like an innately kind of selfish character through the entirety of Toy Story, but Tom Hanks lends him that kind of like that that Tom Hanks warmth, the warmth that Tom Hanks is known for that that makes Woody he, he stay on his side the entire time, even if he is occasionally acting quite selfishly or like always looking for. You know, he's he's a leader that helps people around him, but at the end of the day, he's looking for his fulfillment. And he can do so in selfish ways throughout all of the Toy Story films. But it's the Tom Hanks performance, more than the writing, I think, that keeps Woody from, like, becoming a, a dislikable character. And that that's how you can be like, all right, he's Tom Hanks. But Woody without Tom Hanks is not Woody. In the same way that, like, Barley and Ian could be played by anybody. Like, anybody. And, like, Chris Pratt has become an omnipresent freaking voice acting role now. He's He did this. He's in the Lego movie. He's playing Mario. He's playing Garfield. <laughs> like To the point where it's become a meme now that he's playing every character under the sun. Yeah, next week, Chris Pratt will be playing the role of Garrett on Magic by Design at the rate he's going. Exactly. And I look forward to it because he won't insult me. That's true. He's very nice about that. I have a few notes here, Gary. Nothing major because, as you said, the plot is fairly shaky other than the fact that they do stick to landing. The guy in the Manticore costume, that's a funny bit. Yeah, there's a little, I think there's a lot of good physical comedy. Obviously, the entire legs thing is all physical comedy. It's just legs. It's inherently physical comedy. But yeah, the Manticore suit guy, when he's like, we want the Manticore. The Manticore comes out and he does his dance. He's like, I'm the Manticore. And he's like, no, the real Manticore. And his head drops. He's like, oh... <laughs> And then he gets set on fire. <laughs> yeah. 
I also liked the Sprite Biker Gang. It's a fun gag. They mm. come back throughout the movie. They didn't overuse it though because they could become annoying. I like that they were downing tubes of pixie dust as well. That's yeah. that's good. That's a good detail. But moving on to the main thrust of the story, the cave sequence where they come towards the end of their quest does a lot of heavy lifting for the plot. So I, I think what you were hitting on there, Gar, is what I'm going to hit on now. The final gauntlet is very thrilling, mm. but there's a scene of exposition where Barley discusses that he never said goodbye to their dad. Mm. And, you know, I feel as if that's what creates the emotion at the end, but it's shoehorned in there. The scene that really doesn't work for me is when they go through the gauntlet, they come out under the manhole cover and they realize they're back in the center of town. And then Ian blames Barley again for that. I knew he Barley. That moment for me feels entirely unearned. Because they were best friends and getting on great a few minutes ago. But also the moment where he goes off to live his last few moments with his dad. And then he has the realisation that Barley was the dad yeah. he never had all along. And he crosses off his list. That feels completely like a 180 as well. Completely yeah. unearned. But like my, my problem is I think that moment would work if they built there much better. But like they had the moment of conflict right before that. Where it's like, I hate you, Barley. You're a screw up after all. It's like, no. That's that's not earned what's so that he can go off and have the realization that Barley was in fact his father figure all along. It's just like I, I'm not sure the film needed that moment of conflict. I don't. It doesn't work. It feels like we need to insert a moment of conflict here for the sake of the narrative, and we're going to do it. Have we earned it? Does it make sense? Not really, but we're going to shove it in there nonetheless. And I, I think it's it's that. Like core one, the relationship between the two is, I think, a little too cliche. There's not enough nuance there in the first place. That's like we're a nervous, quiet kid and loud, kind of screw up, annoying kid. And they teach each other things along the way, kind of deal. And like he's embarrassed of his older brother, and his older brother is completely oblivious to the world around him because he's just an oblivious, like very enthusiastic guy. And, and like there, there's not enough depth or nuance to either of their characters to make them feel like people. They're just walking character arcs. So that when you get to that, like I really don't like that moment when they come out of that man whole cover and they have an argument because it just as you said they went through the entire adventure they have the lovely moment on the boat where it's like oh you know i, I never said goodbye to dad and that sets up the, the ending which really does work where, where ian is like i it will does. i will give up this opportunity to meet my father which is what we were doing the whole movie for so you can have your moment i need to go fight this dragon and then you have the cool moment of like him using all the things he learned through the movie to fight the dragon he uses the the invisible steps thing he uses the fireworks he uses the floating spell and he uses the the force lightning he finally masters that for the first time yeah so like that that all works the last like 10 minutes of this film really do work they're excellent like it's great stuff and even when his mom and the manticore show up and the manticore embraces who she's meant to be instead of a neurotic restaurant owner and the the mother is just a badass who tries to kill a dragon without hesitation and even like the dragon design where it's like it pulls all the stuff off of the school and you can see like the railings and stuff on the dragon it's really and obviously the face and the scream of the dragon is also the bell of the school yeah the school bell all of that stuff really really neat the stuff that they did to get there less so even like the oh you know i follow my gut and then no i don't think we should follow your gut but it turns out they should follow his gut because his gut is good but like even then like they learn that lesson in the movie and then at the very end of the movie like i think that ending when they come up through the manhole cover would work much better if it's barely having like a full crisis of confidence it's like i thought i'd follow my gut i thought this was the way to go and then his brother supports him as opposed to, like, turning on him, you know? No, I think that's a good point, because the work of the movie, to that point, had been bringing them together. They understand each other. They realize they're a good team. They learn from each other. And he had been tested a couple of times when it came to supporting Barley or believing in him, and he doesn't do it. 
So like that would have been his moment to believe in him. And you could flip the relationship. You could have Barley be the one to push Ian away. That like they come up, they're like, oh, we did it. We did it. Oh, no, I was wrong. And it's like, you were wrong to trust me. You were wrong to trust my gut. And then Ian might be like, no, no, you're right. We'll find. If they flip that relationship and it's like, listen, I've led you astray, blah, blah, That's such a better ending. And it feels much more earned and much more true to those characters than Ian like being like, oh, your gut was wrong, Barley. I need to go storm off. Yeah, it feels like everything in the ending worked out. I really think they stuck the landing, but they took a shortcut to get there. They didn't, mm-hmm. like, it all worked. And I was like, I still got the emotional hum. Like, it, did, it didn't well up, but I did feel it in my heart. But, you know, I think anybody who has a father will probably understand that. Mm. But, yeah, it, it does feel like they took shortcuts here. And even, like, the Manticore thing and, and all of that, like, it's all brilliant. But there's the start, somewhat of a middle. We don't, it's, it's not fleshed out. I think that's my main point here. Yeah, the, and, the, like... I think they didn't understand their own characters. I think for Ian to turn on his brother there, it sucks. It's like a really bad character moment. And yeah, if you had the crisis of confidence for Barley being like, maybe what everybody has always said about me is right. You know, that I am the screw up, that I, 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 I'm going nowhere, that I am just this guy who's living out my life through a D&D game instead of in real life. And I should have to get my head on straight. And like, I'm, as you said, I'm leading you astray. And then, you know, Ian realizes he's not leading him astray the whole time he's been his father. For, that works so much better. Uh, I was about to say, you can still get to the same destination by doing that instead yeah. of just kind of forcing in that classic Disney third act tension that's unearned yeah. and out of nowhere. And feels just untrue to the characters. And I think a lot of the journey is just kind of meh. Like yeah. a lot of the road trip element is just kind of like, it's fine. It's perfectly functional, but it's not particularly either exciting or interesting or dramatic or like heart wrenching. It's just uh, ploppy to ploppy to ploppy without being good. Yeah, I think the movie hits its stride when they go to the final gauntlet. Mm. I think everything from there is great because it's thrilling. You know, they have their moment. It sets up that gut punch of an ending. Yeah. I think that if this movie was like half an hour long, like a, a short movie, like, you know, have a bit of exposition at the start. <laughs> if it's just the third act, basically. Yeah. I think that was a, a, a true Pixar movie. That distills what Pixar does best. The rest of it, very much animation and Disney tropes. Mm. I will say one of my favorite things about the ending is that they don't show you Barley's conversation with his father. Yeah, I like that a lot. You know, you see it from the perspective of Ian, who's watching from a distance through some rocks, and you see, like, you can infer what they're saying. And, like, he tell, he does tell Ian a little what they says. Like, oh, I thought uh, his wizard thing would be whatever it was. But you you don't see the moment. Like, well, you do see the moment, but you don't hear the moment. You, ju- you just see them, and you see the emotions. And you, you don't even see the father's face, I don't think. You just see the father from behind, really. Yeah, we see his face in photographs, but you just see his profile mostly. And another version of this movie would have had its cake and he hit you. He's like, oh, or he gets back. Yeah, or, or not even that he gets back permanently, but he's like, I'll sacrifice. I'll yeah. That's uh, that's why I meant where Ian somehow he yeah. kills the dragon. And he gets back to his dad, and they both have the moment together. It's like that would have been lame. Yeah, and I think if we saw Ian and Barley's dad talk and interact, that would have broken the magic of that moment. Mm. Magic, you see, you get it. Yeah, by design. Indeed, and also magic in this movie. It's so many magics. It's wordplay on every level. See, like there is a version of this movie that I think is a tier Pixar. But the version they told is B-tier Pixar. Because as I said, I think the premise and the idea is really neat. Especially like that opening sequence where it's like, magic is really hard to master. So when somebody invented the light switch, nobody needed to create fire out of a wand anymore. There's something really funny about seeing all these mythical creatures domesticated. Yeah, and like, as you mentioned, the feral unicorns are just, are just like squirrels or not squirrels. What's the more? Raccoons? Yeah. They're basically raccoons. Yeah, they, they used to be like beautiful mythical beasts and now they're just vermin. Yeah, scrounging for freaking food and making yeah faces when they <laughs> see people because that's what unicorns are. 
So like it has all those little things that Pixar do well, like, you know, having a, a thought out world has a really emotional ending. I think the characters, for the most part, are at least interesting or they have good motivations, but they just, yeah, it feels like they fast forward it. I just, I don't... They, they should have taken the more perilous path, Gar. Ah, they didn't learn the lesson of their own movie. They took the freeway. They didn't take the perilous path. I'm very happy with that analogy. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good here. It's just not quite enough good to match. Uh, particularly the recent standards of Pixar. You know, you have Toy Story 4, you have Inside Out, you have Coco, which are back to being like real heavy hitter home run Pixar movies, as opposed to like the run. Like if this was straight after Brave... I'd probably be like a little more thumbs up on it. It's like, oh yeah, it's a big improvement on Brave. <laughs> but it is, Pixar, we've seen them back to the like the peak of their powers. And this is not quite that. Moving on here, regard to the music and score, not much to speak of either. Michael and Jeff Dana return to score Onward, having previously worked on The Good Dinosaur. It's an adventure score, really. There's not much to it. Yeah, and like the, the reason that final scene works is because their big swelling music is quite good. Yeah. But I don't think, I haven't given it a re-listen, which is what I like to do because we've done a, what I call a watch and record. We literally just watched Onward. So I haven't listened to the soundtrack or the score again. So maybe I'll like it more upon re-listen. But it it is a, a functional and good for what it's trying to do adventure movie score. Brandy Carlisle performs the film's only song, Carried Me With You, co-written by her bandmates Phil and Tim Hansroth. We see that at the end credits and we will hear it a little bit later on as well. Spoilers. Oh, we have a song. We do. Because this movie has a song. It does. Uh, it's a nice song. Brandy yeah. Carlisle's great, so. Good credit song. In terms of the legacy of Onward, Gar, as we referred to earlier, Onward was one of the first major movie franchises affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. While I don't think it would have been a billion dollars, I do think it would have performed admirably had it not been cut short. Yeah, it would have been a mid-level Pixar hit, probably like $600 million-ish. Yeah. Because like it did have, like, I was going to say, it did have two weeks out in cinemas before the world shut down. But like even at the start of March, we were all beginning to be like... Uh, should we be here uh, so like there was already that anxiety about COVID in the beginnings of March uh, it only hit home when ironically Tom Hanks got COVID that's when the world is like Woody got COVID let's, let's take this seriously finally but yeah I don't think it's a film that people will be gagging for for years it's like I don't think it's going to be a film that has a, a large cult following especially given the circumstances of it really it's released because not many people saw it though there there might be a good chance that a lot of people are like oh people missed this and it's worth seeing which it is yeah and it did very well on video on demand and streaming so and it did get a second release i know it was like when cinemas opened back up in july here yeah they, they it, onward was one of the big movies that was still in well didn't have much else did they so. no it was that like lord of the rings the film was also subject to censorship and banning by many arab countries yeah. due to its depiction of a lesbian character one female cyclops police officer character in the film named specter voiced by lena waith of master of none fame briefly indicates that she's a lesbian the scene in question is a brief scene in which the word here is simulacrum oh it's because they're posing as the police officer called bronco is lamenting about how ian and barley lightfoot do not respect him as a father figure and specter replies to him saying it's not easy being a new parent my girlfriend's daughter is pulling my hair out okay yeah it's the thing where it's like we have done the bare minimum of representation here we've yeah. had a character say in a throwaway line that they're gay yeah. so like it's very funny that these movies are terrified of having any gay or lesbian characters because of the backlash and they have done 
the very bare minimum you can do of representing somebody. And still, Russia's like, ban it. And all, all, a bunch of these other countries are like, ban it. And it's it's very funny to me. It's like, just put meaningful characters in the movie then. If they're going to be banned for like the smallest, most token effort imaginable, just go full hog on it. Yeah, they're literally dipping a pinky toe into the poo. <laughs> it's not even that much. It's generous. It's literally like the toenail. It's, it's the very least they could do to represent people. But... Nah, it still gets banned. So just go all in on it. We're going to talk about this a lot more when we're talking about Luca. Yeah. Which is a, a tremendously gay movie. Call Me By Your Name, the animated movie. Like, the gayest movie that does not feature an openly gay character that has ever been made, probably. But, like, they've done the bare minimum and still, like, everybody's up in arms. It's like, how dare you have somebody say that they are a lesbian in a throwaway line. We cannot possibly air this movie for children. And it's going to be banned in those horrible countries that take gay people anyway so like just just make meaningful characters then or don't do it at all because <laughs> like the tokenism is it's terrible stop it the russian dub changes the line to my partner's daughter due to the anti-gay propaganda law in the country that forbids the dissemination of lgbt related content to minors how do they how do they make the distinction of four minors you have to be over 18 to be gay in russia but like or to enjoy gay content I guess how, how but if like if it's an adult movie can you have gay characters I is it based so. on, I guess based on the rating of the movie how do you enforce it's stupid censored stupid, stupid countries anyway. stupid laws it may not surprise you based on the fact that we are in from Europe and we get this news all the time it was also changed in Poland and Hungary mm. yeah you can <laughs> let's not get bogged down in this guy but remember when we nearly won the Eurovision because of Russia well we didn't but yeah because we had a, a gay couple in our setup. Yeah, so like it wasn't it wasn't even explicit. It was just two guys very closely dancing. Well they do kiss at the final performance. Did they I thought they actively didn't. No, in the final they kissed, they sealed the deal in the final. But not in the semis. No. And we like still Russia censored it and we got through to the finals entirely based on the fact that Russia censored it. <laughs> Yeah. And we were like third favourites going into the final, just based on the fact that Russia censored our semi-final performance. Yeah, it didn't pan out that way. We were way down the table. Yeah, we did not end up finishing third. We did not do well. But it's funny that, like, it's the, the Streisand effect, isn't it? It's like, if Russia didn't say a word, nobody would care. But the Russia censorship is like, well, we have to be up in arms about this now. And rightfully so. Uh, it's it's like, I, I don't like them changing the scene, by the way. And yeah. like, I guess in theory, you can still read the fact that she's a lesbian because she says partner, not husband. You know, if they did change it to the husband, that would be a little more egregious because you can still infer that she's a lesbian based on saying partner. But I hate the fact that they're like, we have these censorship laws, you have to change your movie. And their reaction to that should be, you don't get our movie. True. Like, that should be the reaction. And I get why it's not, because corporate interests greed. That's the only reason it's not. But if a censor says to me, we want to take this out because we deny people's right to exist, my answer to that is you don't get this. Not, we will bow to your censorship laws. Overall, Gar, I think Onward, it's firmly in the B-tier Pixar Mm -hmm. area. But I think it has enough for me to make me want to watch it again. You know, I wasn't sure after the first time because half the time I was looking around at all the surfaces that I was touching because, you know, we were in... Were you really that paranoid? Yeah, I was. I was. So I actually... I, I do remember the beats of this film, but I don't remember a lot of it, you know. Because I was like, oh, we probably shouldn't be here, but, you know, I want to see a movie. <laughs> Whereas you actively appeared to be like, uh-uh, there's COVID on these armrests. <laughs> yeah, so for a second watch, I think that, again, it sticks to landing. It does a lot of the things that 
Pixar do well, but I do feel as if they cheated a bit. So I don't feel like it's fully earned or fleshed out or I don't get that same sense of completion. That's a really bad word to use, sorry. Uh, that I did from the likes of Toy <laughs> Ken always wants that sense of completion when watching movies. <laughs> yeah, that I got from the likes of Toy Story 4 or Coco or even Inside Out. So it's on Disney Plus if you have it, watch it. But I, I don't think you're missing out if you have never seen it. I think you are. I think the last 10 minutes are that good. And I think the problem is you do have to watch the entire film for the last 10 minutes to land. But the last 10 minutes are really good. Yeah. Like the the conclusion of this film works. And even if they don't entirely earn it on the way there, the conclusion of the film works. It will tug on your heartstrings and it will exhilarate you and you will feel happy. And then the movie will end. It's it's always good when a movie leaves it because like if if it's the other way around or the first two thirds are sensational and then they just stink and whiff on the landing, then you're like, this movie stinks. Or as if it's the other way around, it's like, yeah, there are bits and bobs in the first two thirds that are like, you pull on the collar. It's like, not quite. But the last 10 minutes or the last third of the last act of the movie, tremendous thumbs up. It really works. Then you're, you're, you know, you're walking out being like, yeah, it was pretty good, you know? Yeah. I remember we said that when we left the cinema. I was like, yeah, it's okay, but uh, yeah, that ending. Yeah, they did the Pixar ending and they, they sent me home happy, so... They Toy Story 3 did, Ken. They yeah. made a, a pretty good movie at the start and then just nailed the ending. And that's all you need to remember. Yeah, so that, like that's their new formula. It's like, look, nobody cares about the first two thirds. We just got to stick the landing and everyone will give us an Oscar. Yeah, you're going to ignore the fact that the daycare bits are... And then you'll remember the incinerator and the handing over the kids to the kid bit and everyone will cry. <laughs> you don't really need to remember the fact that eh, those daycare scenes, they're like, they're only okay. All right, Pixar Paladins. Apparently that's a knight. Paladin. Paladin, that's Not it. Paladin, Paladin. Whatever. <laughs> Resident Magic by Design singer Nicole is coming up in just a few moments with a little ditty from Onward. But first we must sell our wares so that we may continue our quest. Yes. Ah, gold. New episodes of Magic by Design land every Monday where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Stop by the website at magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com to find a full list of podcast platforms. We are literally everywhere in the podcast universe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Ever. The quest continues. Join our party on social media by following us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magic by design pod on Twitter at magic design pod and on Instagram at magic by design pod. If you're a fan of the show and want to do us a favor, go ahead and give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. The season of giving is also upon us. So why not share the podcast on your socials or even recommend the show to a fellow Disney demogorgon? If you give us a five star review, we will give you one of those dragon gem things. Phoenix Gems. Yeah, that's it. That's the name of the movie. No, we'll take the rear light of the car and pretend it is like they did with that dragon. So it'll just be a a car light, but you can pretend it's a Phoenix Gem. We cannot promise it will resurrect any dead relatives. As much as we would all like it. Yeah, but maybe we don't want to. Maybe the dad you never met is a jerk. Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's the ending of this movie. It's like Barley meets his dad and his dad's an ass. <laughs> it's like he just tells Ian. It's like, oh, yeah, he was nice. It's like, oh, God, he was a jerk. He should have stayed dead. This is actually a maniacal scheme by him. He wanted to come back and take over the world. And he was really upset that he died before he could take over the world. Sorry, Ian, our dad's an ass. <laughs> And we actually, by bringing him back, accidentally enacted his plan to take over the world. So, like, we kind of ruined the world here, Ian. That's a sequel. Onward to... Onwards. Uh, Yes, very good. Join us next week for an episode devoted to Pixar's 23rd animated feature, Soul. But until then, stay safe and remember, you have to take risks in life to have an adventure. Now then, Nicole is here to see us home with a cover of Carried Me With You from Onward. Thanks for listening and see you next week. 
you carry 